Have you ever heard of Chris Dyer? What about Jim Phillips? If you've ever heard of either of these two artists, you're probably pretty well-rounded in street and skate art. If you have only heard of one or none of these two artists, allow me to open your eyes to the colorful world that they live in. Welcome to the sixth episode of Uniquity Over Ubiquity, the show that gets down to the nitty-gritty of what it takes to establish yourself as a unique artist, rather than being a ubiquitous drop in a pool of the masses. The main content of this show takes an artist that is currently rising in their field and asks them about an artist that inspired them to get into art themselves. Through comparative, personal, not-so-average questions, we give you the opportunity to dive into the mind of the people that inspire you about what inspires them. I'm your host and creator of the show, Kyle Parker. A little about myself, I am a tech geek that loves to write comedy and dabbles in music production. A couple of years ago, I attended an online course with the Second City Comedy School in Chicago. The class was based on writing a podcast, and by the end of it, our final project ended up being an entire episode. That's how Uniquity Over Ubiquity came to be. In this episode, we sat down and talked with legendary up-and-coming can't-go-to-a-fest-without-seeing-his-art Chris Dyer. Chris is a Montreal-based artist who was born in Peru. He has reached over 36 different countries with his massive art and perspective. I don't see many people that work as hard as this dude. With art as crazy and expansive as his hair, he is hard to overlook. His multicolored, multicultured, meticulous marvels have stopped plenty of people short in their tracks as they stand and stare in awe. Chris is also very involved in skate culture. He used to draw his own custom skateboard designs before finding the path he is on now. He has his hands in so many different art styles and produces content so frequently that he has become revered in many different genres and styles, making him one of the leading artists of the North American visionary art scene. Chris's brand, Positive Creations, has reached a multitude of fans and can now be seen on anything from prints to festival attire such as leggings, hats, and shirts. Chris loves talking to his fans and experiencing different parts of the world. His energy and ideas are contagious, and when I told him I didn't even know how to ollie, he told me it's never too late to try. The man is a true inspiration. Chris sat down and chatted with me about one of his inspirations, Jim Phillips, an artist from Santa Cruz, California. Jim started as a surf artist portraying different parts of the surf scene. He won a few competitions and took his skill to the California College of Arts and Crafts. In 1975, he became the art director for Santa Cruz Skateboarding. It was there that he created countless skateboard decks alongside other skate-related merch. He even tokened that famous screaming hand so many Santa Cruz fans know on site. The conversation I had with Chris about this art form uncovered so many things I had no knowledge of. Hanging with him was amazing too. We met up, drove to the black box here in Denver, jumped the fence, got a dope video demo of his new augmented reality project where his art comes to life on screen, moved some stuff around, grabbed a canvas or three, went to my house, banged this interview out while he drew his own interpretation of this podcast logo, and then we sat down and meditated together afterwards. I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to share some time with him and pick his brain. This man is easily one of the kindest people on earth and has the potential to reach millions. Enough from me though. Let's get to what Chris Dyer has to say. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. You? I'm fantastic. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming out to do this with us today. It's uh it's an exciting venture, and I think it's a good way for us to spread information about artists. And uh, I just want everyone to know that as we are doing this, Chris is drawing a representation of the Uniquity Over Ubiquity logo, which I just can't thank him enough for. I think that's super awesome, so thank you for that, too. No problem, man. I like to draw. I've noticed. I've, I've actually uh, watched you do it on the side of a van at Zen Awakening. Nice. That was pretty awesome, and the many other art pieces that you made are just amazing. That guy died, huh? Did he? Yeah, the owner of that van. I did not know that. Yeah, so first he erased the mural I painted on his van because the cops were pulling him over too much, and then he just died of something. I don't know what the details. What the hell? But yeah, people tell me that. That is an insane... I wonder where the van is. I hope he didn't die because he had my art on his yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> what if it was like some cursed thing? Nah, I, I, I bet you're fine. Don't nice. guilt yourself too hard. That all right, all right. The, yeah, yeah. You're, you're fine. I asked you about 
who an artist was that inspired you and you wanted to talk to me about Jim Phillips and there was a couple other options we could talk about that later but you wanted to talk to me about Jim Phillips and that one stuck out to me because Jim Phillips was the designer for many many years and the original designer for Santa Cruz boards correct yes yeah so he was uh making all the art for that and he also did the screaming hand which is the logo for Santa Cruz. And well, it was not necessarily the logo for Santa Cruz. It was a graphic done for uh, Slimeball Wheels, which was one of their many brands they had. Okay. But all tied in together by Jim Phillips Art. Right on. I stand corrected. And uh, the Screaming Hand is just his most popular graphic that everybody knows. Yeah. It, I got uh, it tattooed on my leg. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. There it is. Oh, and shit. And it's actually tattooed by Eric Dressen, who's a former Santa Cruz Skateboards pro skater. Wow. That is levels right there. That's yeah. pretty fucking awesome. So, <laughs> so needless to say, it's obvious that Chris likes Jim Phillips at least a little bit. Basically, the, the main purpose of this show is I ask you questions about things that I kind of read about him, and then I also ask how those relate to you and your career. So I'm just going to kind of get right into it, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go ahead, man. Cool. So what was your experience like seeing his art for the first time? Well, when I first saw the art of Jim Phillips, I was around six to seven years old, and I lived in Lima, Peru. And at the time, I'd never seen art like that. And it really kind of like hit me in the face where like I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Like, this is crazy. Um, you know, first of all, I'd never seen kind of like monster art and just kind of like just skulls and monsters and, and really cool rock and roll surf art from California had not really reached me out there in Peru. But on top of it, it's done beautifully with amazing line work and... Uh, beautiful color combinations so i was very much like impressed i wanted a santa cruz skateboard well i wanted any american skateboard at that point uh it was just really inspiring and throughout the years the inspiration never left i wanted to do skateboard graphics which eventually i did once i finished school around uh 2003 so basically what you're saying is the detail and the consistency in his line work and stuff like that and just how well he executed it was really what drew you into it yeah it was well done you know he he did those graphics when he was already in his 50s so he had a long time to develop his technique his language his style he did a lot of really cool graphics back in the day and uh, I got his book, so I, I you see a lot of cool stuff he did back in the surf days. And then when skateboarding started becoming a thing and people wanted graphics at the bottom of skateboards, which was a new development in the late 70s and then the 80s, uh, it was his chance to just go nuts. You know, it's like, oh, here I can just go bananas and do some really crazy shit. And that's what he did on the graphics of uh, Santa Cruz Skateboards. And yeah, forever, he's one of the best skateboard graphic makers ever and a legend. And yeah very inspiring it's cool to think about that that most people in the skate community don't care if it's like graphic or if it's gnarly or if it's outlandish or if it's like spacey or if it's weird like we actually like that a little bit more in the skateboarding community you know what i mean so to be going through your entire career as a graphic artist and trying to make things that fit the certain bill of a certain gallery or things like that it's kind of crazy and then all of a sudden just being unlocked to go to whatever direction you see fit, like a bloody stump of a hand screaming, like, you know, like you could do whatever the fuck you want. That must have been pretty empowering or freeing, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, no, with skateboarding, there's been different movements. So in the 70s, the first graphics were done in Venice Beach by Wes Humston for, you know, the Sea Boys and Dogtown crew. And that was very inspired by, say, street gang graffiti. Uh, to kind of represent the Venice vibes. Um, as people discovered that people actually wanted skateboard graphics on the bottom of the board as opposed to on the top of the board because now the board was flying out of a bowl because the air was invented by Tony Alva, one of the Dogtown and Sea Boys, graphics started developing. In the beginning was just logos, but then, you know, between Santa Cruz and Paul Peralta, they started getting really sick on their artwork and it was done with silk screens these silk screens were cut with diamonds it was very like a lot of hard work to get this shit super tight just the way they wanted it 
uh, and then the graphics would run for years, you know? Like these days, a graphics, a heat transfer, you do it, a season lasts a couple months, it's done, next, next, next. But back then, like a graphic could be a legendary graphic that forever everybody would know, like the Tony Hawk, Paul Peralta graphic, for example. Even if you don't skate, you've probably seen that graphic. Right. And um, so, yeah, that was those were different times. So back in those days, it was Paul Peralta, Santa Cruz, and Vision. And uh, for me, Santa Cruz had the best graphics and uh, yeah, so Jim Phillips went nuts on the whole monsters kind of side of things because Paul Peralta was more about the skulls. Ah, okay, yeah, and I do know exactly what graphic you're talking about, and I'm pretty sure I've owned it at one point in my life. Oh, cool. Yeah, skateboarding's always been just really a- an awesome way to express yourself. That's one of the main reasons why I picked this out of the two artists that you mentioned because I've always had an affinity for skateboard i've always thought it was really cool although i've never been able to do an ollie for some fucking reason in my entire life it's never too late i decided to transition to longboarding for now but i would love to learn how to ollie at some point let's see what is one of your favorite art pieces by him okay so there's this skater called rob roscop and i couldn't even tell you what rob roscop looks like or what tricks he did but the series of graphics that came along his name were always the best ones. The first Rob Roscoff was simply like a bullseye with a hand coming out of it. And it was pretty cool at the time. And then they decided to do Rob Roscoff 2, which the arm was a little coming out more. Rob Roscoff 3 was like the monster trying to rip through the, the eyeball. By Rod Robscop 5, it's this crazy madness of a monster. Go look on it on Google, Rob Robscop 5. And that graphic, my cousin had that graphic. And when I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? You know, this is so detailed and colorful and out of your mind, very visionary in a dark sense of the, the term. And um, then there was the Rob Roscoff face, which is like this horrible melting face, but it's so beautiful at the same time. There's so many color combinations that have been done with that face. So those are some of my favorite. I have not heard of that skater, so I feel like on top of the fact that we're uncovering two great artists here, such as Chris and Jim, it's also nice to be hearing about some new skaters too, because uh, let's be real, skateboarding's fucking tight as shit. So let's see. He said he's been a graphic artist for over 50 years. Do you feel like you're going to do this for the rest of your life or do you want this to grow into something else? I always want to do art. Ideally, I want to do just fine art, you know, paint the things I have in my heart to be expressed. Right now, I'm doing a little bit of what you would call graphic art, but it's like fun stuff like doing a poster for Red Rocks or skateboard graphics or you know, uh, the t-shirt shit, but just, it's all cool. It's all fun. And I want to do that. And, you know, when I see a really cool event poster from the sixties, it just inspires me like, Oh, I want to do that. Or I want to do a record cover. Like there's just so many things that inspire me. But as time progresses, I would like to have more time to do these crazy paintings, you know, paintings that take me years to complete. And that you say like, Holy shit, a human painted that like awesome. When we're talking about Jim Phillips, I was lucky enough to visit him in his studio in Santa Cruz a few years back. And I asked him, he's already in his 70s or even 80s, and I asked him, like, so what are you doing these days? What kind of art are you doing? And he's like, I don't do art anymore, you know? He stopped completely. And I was a little bit shocked. It's like, what? You're so good. Why would you stop doing art? And he says, like, they milked me so hard in the 80s to do all those graphics. After that, I didn't want to do it anymore. So it's so sad, you know? This guy has such talent but he was so exploited that now he just wants to chill out. He actually, uh, his artwork is uh, rebuilding hot rods. So he's got some really cool hot rods. That's also cool. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. He's up to something else, you know, and we all develop, we all change. Who knows? Maybe once I get to my 70s, I won't feel like painting anymore. I'll find something else to do. That's super unfortunate to hear that that's how it ended up for him, but I'm glad that he's still pursuing something unique and special to him. And I think it's, good that someone that you idolized growing up to a certain extent was able to convey that message to you in person and let you know that if you do get burnt out and overworked and overexploited, you might just dislike it one day. Yeah. You got to do what you enjoy. Yeah. If not, you're going to get over it. I agree with that fully. That's why I'm doing something like this in the middle of two jobs right now. I love I love talking, first of all, but I also really enjoy exploring art and what it takes to make it happen. So, yeah, I I think the main point is 
do what makes you happy and make sure it continues to make you happy by not like over killing it. You know what I mean? Right. He mentioned that he trained himself to be receptive. How do you open yourself up to the world around you and how does it affect your art? I don't know. I feel I'm already open. I don't have to do anything to open myself. I just got eyes and I observe and I like and I get stoked and I draw them. Uh, I like to sketch a lot from reality and uh, learn from the shapes that different uh, uh, things in the world. I travel a lot, been to almost 40 countries by now. And uh, in each place, I travel the buildings of the place, the culture. I learn from it and I pick up different pieces of the puzzle that then become part of my art. I'd say I'm over-inspired. There's a lot of things that I'm stoked on. And I got a lot to say from these things that stoke me. And they're all different pieces of the puzzle that I need to get out and then become my art. Today, earlier, you and I went and demonstrated your augmented reality thing. And I like it because even though your art is so vibrant and so colorful and so beyond a regular color spectrum, it's still realistic. Like uh, that eyeball that's coming out of the mouth, it still has the veins in it. It still has like, you know what I mean? It still has the detail to it that makes it seem authentic and genuine, but somehow you still make it seem kind of imaginative. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, totally. Like I like inventing things that don't exist, but everything needs a language and parameters. So I use things that do exist, like an eyeball. And that eyeball with the veins is totally something that comes from the language of Jim Phillips, for example. But he didn't invent that. Before him was Big Daddy Roth. Uh, an artist from the 50s, from the rockabilly times, and they were drawing Rat Fink and all these uh, weird, creepy characters on hot rods. And they're the first ones to use eyeballs exploding from their eyes. But even if you look at ancient art, you'll find some eyeballs exploding out of people's eyes. So this is just a continuation of culture that keeps on evolving with time. I was actually having a discussion with uh, one of my friends who's an artist, and he was actually the person that I interviewed for the demo of this uh, podcast, like my very first episode that never really released. I plan to re-release it at some point. The great thing about being an artist is the culmination of watching and experiencing so much art in your life. And then eventually you take all the things that you've learned from all these individual places and all these different, you know, maybe five plus artists. And then all of a sudden all those styles get kind of recycled into something that you make now. It's really, really cool to see that because, like you said, I mean, that goes all the way back to what you you said, like the 50s or 60s. That's really crazy because it's been passed on generationally, but it somehow still made it into your style, but with a variation and a twist because of the combination of other things that you like, you know? Totally. Well, it's all about communication. Artists are trying to say something and communication needs a language. And say in in the case of right now, we're using the English language. And I I didn't invent the word shoe, you know. I didn't invent the word hair. But if I wanted to convey that message, I would have to use those symbols that represent these things we understand. So the same thing, like if I want to use the the exploding eyeball or maybe a little pyramidical situation I saw in a temple in Thailand, you know, these are all different words uh, visually speaking, that I use to communicate a certain vibration or, you know, it's about how you rearrange these words into the sentences to say a specific message. So I don't think it's bad to, you know, um, use these ele- pre-existing elements as long as you're being respectful and not saying the same exact thing. Like if I said a quote that already existed before, that's not my quote anymore. And then I'm just ripping off somebody. That makes total sense. And uh, I think there is a fine line between that. Like, you know, honoring someone is a lot different than just straight up copying them. Yeah. And I will always say that I'm of the lineage of Jim Phillips and skateboard art that inspired me when I was younger and still today. And many other artists of many different kinds of art. It's cool that those things work together to create the things that you create because, I mean, you know, your art, obviously... It's doing something to people and uh, we appreciate you as an artist and we appreciate whoever led you to that too. And in the same way, people use my art as a stepping stone to communicate their own things, you know, like they'll use different elements of what I do 
to kind of get going and hopefully they find their own voice. Because in the world of visionary art, I was, you know, always the weird oddball that was coming at visionary art from a skate art meets street art kind of vibe while everybody else was just doing realism. And uh, I was like, no, I'm going to do it like with pick black lines and very graphic because that's who I am. But I'm still going to talk about spirituality. But now these days, there's a lot of people who do graphic, uh, cartoony, you know, rad kind of visionary art. And people don't even think, oh, did that come from Chris or whatever? And I don't have to claim anything, you know. But it's nice when those people use what is existing, but they take it their own direction where it's totally different than my art. And then it doesn't bug me anymore because it's just, it's their own thing. I really appreciate that insight. I think that's important for people to know. And I think it's just really good information for anyone that's trying to get into something like this. He created the Screaming Hand logo and it became kind of synonymous with Santa Cruz boards. What was your Screaming Hand logo or what do you feel like will be your Screaming Hand logo if you haven't created something like that? Well, what has become my most classic and recognizable art piece is what I'm using on my sweatshirt today. It's the uh, Peeling Bodies graphic. So the Peeling Bodies graphic is this head that's splitting open, revealing many layers, and in the inside there's a circle representing the soul. And it also makes the shape of a heart. And that's one of those pieces that I did back in 2003 that at this point a lot of visionary artists have done their own versions. And at the beginning, I was a little bit cheesed out when I was like, whoa, why are people remaking my painting, calling it their own? Eventually, I had to just kind of let it go. Of course, this whole thing of bodies within bodies and opening up has been done since like the Russian dolls and even Garbage Pail Kids and Mexican stuff. But it's, it's just more about the the way it's arranged. A front view, usually opening up to the shape of a heart, revealing a little circle in the middle, when it's very similar, then I'm a little bit like, oh, like, you know, it used to bug me more. At this point, I've let it go. Where it bugged me more, it was also when it was artists who were bigger than me. Because then people would think that I ripped them off because they were more famous than me. And I'm like, dude, you're already famous. Why are you grabbing this thing? That's like my one thing that's kind of like making me special. But anyways... Regardless of all that stuff, uh, yeah, that's the one piece that, you know, I can go around the world and show it to people and be like, whoa, you're the guy who did that one? That's awesome. I've seen it all over YouTube or, you know, etc. It, it gets around because it's a simple message, you know? We are a soul trapped in all these physical layers, you know, that really it's all about love and connecting to the other soul. That's a excellent example and also an excellent art piece and i have seen that many a many a time um throughout my you know five or six years of going to festivals and uh i, I can't believe it was created so long ago i didn't know that that's really awesome but it's interesting the way things start to work especially in this internet day and age with something being popular you know what i mean if something becomes popular there's many ways it can be like altered tweaked duplicated and people like try to like put their own twist on it like i've seen thousands of things that people have put a grateful dead logo on you know it's just all kinds of crazy stuff that's a that's a great example and uh it's cool to get a little bit of a backstory about that too and kind of see how your experience has been with that he talked about being inside a lot to do his work and missing out on being outside how do you stay connected with nature in the outside world while also maintaining focus on making art constantly Right now, I'm at the stage of my life where I'm traveling a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm being called to many places. So I'm not in my studio much at all. If anything, I miss being home and I miss being inside a little bit more, just painting my paintings for myself. But right now, people want me to paint here, do a mural there, do a workshop over here. Meanwhile, I still want to travel and see the whole world. I'm still young. I still got energy. So I am out a lot more than I'm inside. And I look forward to the day where I become an adult officially and, uh, you know, maybe do the family thing. Who knows if I'll reproduce. And, uh, yeah, just paint in my parents' country house or, you know, if I get a big nice apartment in Montreal, which is what I'm trying to do these days. Uh, yeah, definitely don't feel like I'm missing out on life. Uh, but you can do it all at the same time. It's cool to be recognized in festival culture because there's opportunities for you to do your job outside and feel the breeze and feel nature and feel life you know what i mean yeah no i'm painting a lot of murals i don't know if it's nature all the time but sometimes and i'm a lot of festivals and that's outdoorsy too i would consider wind nature 
If there's some wind blowing in your in your hair, I think that's a little bit of nature. The tiniest I, slither. I get a lot of sun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Probably no stranger to that at all. He stated in an interview that he shied away from galleries. Is there any part of the industry that makes you nervous or uncomfortable, even though it's standard practice? And how do you circumvent those feelings or maintain your own intended direction through that? Um, I'm not, like, against galleries, but I don't know if galleries are interested in me because this might sound arrogant, but I'm a true artist. I'm like really doing art that comes from my heart because I got something to express. I'm not doing art to make money or to, you know, as a product or commodity that then a gallery can grab and sell and make their 50% from. Um, so, you know, I'll take whatever time it takes me to do a painting. That's not good for a gallery. They want you to just like put them out like hotcakes so I can sell more, make more money. I'm like, no, I want to just like paint this thing for a whole year because that's what it takes and fuck it if it doesn't sell. Most of my paintings have not sold. They're in my living room. They're for me. If they do sell, great. I'll be able to buy a, a more comfortable place to live and afford the time to do even bigger paintings. But that's not my main objective. So that system doesn't seem to fully work with me, even though I have had shows and stuff. Uh, as I told you before, I had this big show in Miami during Miami Art Basel last December. And I sold a couple of big paintings. You know, it was it was nice to do just to see I could do it. But uh, these days it's easier for me to just go to a place, drop a big mural and just leave it behind get some money and move on with my life and not have to like lug, you know, a hundred paintings and sit there and hope that people will buy it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Different systems for different people. So I feel like basically you circumvent it by just kind of, it's not even about like, I mean, I get that there's still a business aspect. I'm not saying that you're not business oriented at all because everyone has to be in order to sell things and set up merch booths and set up contracts and shit like that. But um, I, I'd almost wager to say that you avoid any discomfort or uncomfortable nature with the industry just by doing it based on how you want to do it. I am definitely very businessy. Uh, I definitely have a lot of office time. I got to talk to a lot of people. I have many hats that I put on in order to succeed at my career, but I choose what I will enjoy more than what I do not enjoy. So the gallery thing I don't invest so much because it's just not so enjoyable while teaching a workshop in India. It's a lot more interesting for me, even if there's less money. Uh, then I have the whole branding side of things. You know, I got my brand, I got a brand manager, we got products and festivals and etc. So that's a whole different topic and that's a whole different budget and money to be made. Uh, but that's also a way that fans can have my art in their lives without spending past, you know, 20 to 50 bucks. We live in a day and age too, where you can afford to do things in that way and not just have to go one specific way with your art. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like before it might've been limited in the options and the, and the methods of transferring your art to the world. But I mean, the fact that you're, coveted in india for workshops that's cool as fuck you know what i mean like that's badass that you have that way to work and forge your path you know what i mean totally it's a little bit even shocking that i can go to a far away place like india or thailand and just put the word out and be like okay i'm teaching a workshop and then the place f gets filled up and we all do art together and it's just amazing i love the internet for that I can't imagine that. And it's really cool to hear your perspective on that too. I don't think most people that are listening have that kind of lifestyle aff afforded to them. And that's really awesome that you do. I'm, I'm glad that your art is getting you to those places and taking you to places that you really, really want to be rather than going through bullshit that you don't want to do. Totally. He obviously and unexpectedly had a huge impact on skateboard culture. That same thing seems to be happening in our current festival culture with your art. Did you expect and work towards this culture or did it just happen to catch on here? I had no idea what visionary art was for the longest time. I was just doing my thing. I was, as I, as I told you, inspired by skateboard art, street art. I was just doing my thing. I was always a spiritual, trippy kind of dude. And then all of a sudden I find in 2003, 2004, uh, Sacred Mirrors book by Alex Gray, and I was like, holy shit, this is my thing. And here is a guy who's doing what I'm doing, but like a lot better. 
And then through the internet, there was this one page called uh, Arrowhead that was like the psychedelic webpage. And they had a gallery. So they were kind of like bringing together all the visionary artists together in one place. And you're like, whoa, there's others, you know, there's a whole tribe of people doing this trip yard in different ways. And through that, I started cluing into like, okay, there's a visionary art thing. But still, I'm in Eastern Canada. I'm not pursuing this like California based situation. But I started getting into skateboard industry and the skateboard industry was in San Francisco. So I'm out there in California anyways. And then I'm doing uh, reggae festivals because the skate brands that I'm working for were really Rasta based. So they're taking me out there to live paint. And through that, I started meeting people like Tri-13 who were starting the roots of visionary art events in Seattle mostly. And then they invited me. It's like, hey, like you're doing what we're doing. Join us, you little Canadian skate freak. And then I started getting into the whole visionary scene. That's around like 2006-ish. And uh, yeah, I'd say by around 2009, 2010, that's when there was this big congress of like the 30 best visionary artists in, in Hawaii. Alex Gray, Robert Benosa, all all of the best ones. At the beginning of the visionary thing, there was only like 30 people. It wasn't that big. And we're just kind of like finding each other. And we're all very different and doing things very differently, which was awesome, but also kind of tricky when you put that many big uh, personalities in one room. And uh, after I showed who I was to them properly with my original paintings, forever I was invited to visionary art events and I got my my little spot in that, that scene. Well, that's badass. It, you know, most of the things that I've uncovered through these interviews is that a a lot of artists got into it with like that one thing that one, they like went to this one event or this one situation and then something was noticed. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't want to say easy, but it was a little bit more common to be booked or be put somewhere. Yeah. Now these days, visionary art is growing more and more. I would still say visionary art's not a big thing. Uh, it's a little bubble. It's in these like, festivals you know that some people would call like hippie festivals or intentional festivals whatever you want to call it and that's not very important to the mainstream we're still very small and there that's where visionary art's more relevant because people are like you know tripping and stuff and then visionary art resonates to them people are like want to see these spiritual uh visions from people like that um but, you know, slowly it will reach the, the mainstream. Psychedelic art was always a thing back in the day. Then, you know, drugs were made illegal. Hippies were looked like losers. Uh, it looked like a little phase that we had in the 60s, and now we're moving on. But no, it's coming back because the world has to awaken, and, and psychedelics are part of that. And that makes people more trippy and more open to spiritual positive art, like the one that we are offering. So we're trying to bring back the code of awakening of humanity because we have to awaken. If we don't awaken, we're not going to make it. So uh, I think uh, visionary art's important for that. I 150% agree. And we are also talking about this hot off the tails of mushrooms being decriminalized in Denver, which is just fantastic. And it lets me know that we're at least moving somewhat in the right direction. I'm not saying that all the problems are solved by that, but we're at least going towards a solution because to open your mind and be that honest with yourself as you are when you're under psychedelics and hallucinogens. It's almost childlike honesty. You get what I'm saying? Like it, the innocence behind it where you're, where you're just like real with yourself and there's no sugarcoating it and there's no bias. It's just an honest to God thought process. I, I appreciate you guys opening up and assisting in that process of opening the mind, you know? Let's see. He credits his wife on helping him when he can't make decisions on his art. Do you have anyone you look to for insight at times or is it more of just a natural flow and it just comes along? I got many ideas. I got many things to say. I love my girlfriend and, and at points, uh, Ariane, and at points I will ask her like, hey, what do you think about this or this color combination? And she'll give her opinion. But at the end of the day, I got a lot of things to say. She's got her own things to say. And I wouldn't really credit anybody else about what I have to say other than myself. It's nice that you open up to opinions but you still stay true to yourself all the way through that's that's really refreshing to know do you have any other cultures you'd want to merge your art with eventually like i said i already see you on many different facets of clothing and other items do you ever want to tap into any other markets and if so what do you have in mind well i recently made a toy 
that would be like the vinyl toy collector market. And I'm not trying to make it in the world of toys. I just simply love toys. I've been collecting 80s action figures for many years. And uh, being able to do my own toy was really fun. And then, as you might have known or not, I recently gave 33 of those toys to different artist friends. And we had this really cool group show at Phil Lewis Gallery in Boulder. And that was super fun for me, you know? So that was a different thing that I just opened. I do a lot of things. I do sculptures. I make skateboard robots. Uh, I would love to get into, like, Meow Wolf, if possible, and do a, a room of installations of my style. Very, like, 80s skater, teenager, explosion in psychedelia kind of sculptures. That would be super fun, but we'll see what happens. I would love to, like, make a album cover for Santana. I would love to, I don't know, like have a show or do a mural in Japan. There's just so many things to do in this world. Uh, I always wanted to like tattoo also, but that's just a whole different kind of worms that, you know, if I start tattooing, then I'm never going to end up doing art for others. And it's all about like doing art for myself these days, you know, because I think the things I got to tell myself is ultimately the most important thing I can tell humanity. If somebody hires me to tell me what they want to tell humanity, um, it, it interests me less. But sometimes you got to do those things too for, you know, I guess paying money or something. I'm, I'm about, like, uh, I recently got asked to do a painting for this lovely family in Tennessee or something. They want to pay me 10,000 bucks for this painting. And 10 G's is nice. But I'm like, ah, but I don't want to paint this family I don't know. So I think I'm just going to decline. Because I just want to paint my my inner visions, you know? Mostly things I see when uh, ayahuasca opens up my inner reality. That's kind of like the entire purpose of this show. And I always feel like around this these last three or four questions, I always get down to answers like this, which it's just like, in order to be establishing yourself as yourself, as something unique, as something different than everyone else, you literally always have to remain true to what you want the entire time. Like you can't stray and be, and, and I think that's really admirable that you're considering declining a 10K offer because I know everybody could definitely use 10K right now and it would be nice to have that. But if it's not something that's honestly coming from you, it's kind of hard to stamp your name on that and say, this is a Chris Dyer painting because no, this is a family painting painted by Chris Dyer. You get what I'm saying? Like this is the blah, blah, blah family painted by Chris Dyer. That's a very interesting thing. And I'm glad that you can stay so true to yourself and stick to your guns. That's really fucking awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I know it's hard in this world because there's so many people telling us how to be, and there's so many ways that we can look at the world around us and think that there's uh, somebody else that we should be like or something else that we should emulate. But to honestly always just be yourself is incredibly valuable and super rare these days too. He said living in Santa Cruz was a big contribution to his art. How did your location serve up ideas to you while you were growing up? Well, I grew up in Lima, Peru. And I would say that even though I didn't intentionally want to be inspired by Peruvian culture, it still got in it anyways, because that's just my upbringing. That's the shapes and language, the visual language that I learned from the beginning, and it kind of sticks with you. Uh, I only really realized that on a trip to Peru that I did in like 2014, I went to the museum and I started seeing a lot of the shapes I see in my arms. Like, I use that shape. I use that thing. I used that. And then I was like, hey, I'm like actually like subconsciously painting very pre-Columbian uh, symbols into my art and I think it's time to like recognize this consciously and use that uh, with more intention so that's what I've been doing you have come from different areas and you've experienced different things like that and it's really cool that you're able to draw stuff like that into what you're doing you know there's so many different areas in this world and it's nice to get the insight as to different places that people have been and uh there's a lot of people that don't have the privilege of going to other places so maybe in your art you can take them to other places that way too you know what i mean right so he made the statement that being an artist is the best job in the world and also the worst job in the world do you feel that way I don't see why being an artist would be the worst job in the world but i know he got really milked as we said before and that sucked for him. But he always had the freedom to be like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I'll do something else. I don't know. Like, we all got our own situation and we got to decide what we choose and we got to pay bills and maintain a family. 
I'm 40 years old. I still don't have a family. My pressure is lower than maybe he had it. I do what I want, you know? Like, maybe I'm a little bit spoiled, but, like, as I said, if I don't enjoy a job, maybe money or not money, I'm going to, like, choose what I enjoy, you know? Like, I pretty much only choose jobs that are rad, you know? Why would I choose something that doesn't make me happy, <laughs> you know? And I guess that was where he made a mistake. So, yeah, no, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it only makes the most sense to continue doing what you love. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out on it and you're really going to, it's eventually going to either show in your work or in your daily life and the way you communicate with the people around you that are close to you. If you just hate what you're doing, it's going to fucking suck. Um, yeah, you know, live, live a happy life, people. That's all you got to do. For sure. Make choices that make you happy. I know the question of what inspires you is a hard one for an artist to specifically answer. Who are some others that you wanted to mention? Other artists that inspire me? I think we had mentioned, when you asked me initially, I had mentioned Matty Clark Wayne. He lived in Spain, and he's awesome. You will know his art if you have seen the cover of Santana Abraxas or Miles Davis' Bitches Brew. Like, he did a ton of amazing album covers, mostly for Columbia Records, and he's used just an amazing painter. Really psychedelic, but well done, and just really original. I, I just, you'd have to see his art. It changes a lot, too. It's not just, like, the same song over and over again. It's very varied and, yeah, very interdimensional and, and just gorgeous. I love his work. Check it out. Matty Clark Wayne. Cool. And anyone else? Well, of course, Alex Gray. He's a mentor to me. Every time I go to Cosm, I go once a year. I've been like seven times. Uh, I teach workshops out there and they become friends, him and Allison. So I go to his studio and I see what he's up to. And it always just blows my mind, the level he's at and all the amazing paintings he's done, and how meaningful they are. And like, yeah, everything's on point with him. And it always kind of like makes me feel really inspired. And then recently, just as in last week, I was here in Colorado and my friends took me to the house of this Boulder artist named Robert Venosa. And Robert Venosa is an amazing painter and seeing his original paintings was super inspiring. He's, he's gone already. His uh, ex-girlfriend uh, Martina Hoffman still lives. She's in Paris a lot these days or, or France in general. And uh, so she's not around, but her home's there. So we checked it out. And once again, crazy good paintings. I just kind of like, when I see paintings like that, I just want to like stop touring and doing murals and life painting. I just lock myself in a studio and do these crazy paintings that I know I could do if I just give myself the time. I hope you can allot yourself the time to do something like that at some point, because uh, it'd be nice to do it for yourself. You know what I mean? But also I know that the the industry and business itself is something that needs to be constantly maintained. Well, yeah, but it's not so much about the money. Like, I got enough money. I'm fine. I could chill out. With the money I made, I could chill out for a few years now, and, and I'd be fine. It's more that the planet is at a hard situation right now. I'm not saying me going out there doing my art is going to save it, but you, they need more light workers out there in the fucking trenches of Babylon putting out the vibration. If I hide myself in my studio... All you're going to see is my paintings here and there. And that's cool. Paintings are important. But people meeting me and me talking to people and getting speeches and just like sharing that inner soul fire that I have to pass on to people. That's what I've learned that is my main service these days. I feel like I'm a missionary of a religion with no name. And uh, I'm not trying to convince anybody to join anything. I'm just passing on that invisible soul fire of awakening so that we can all awaken together and make a better world together. That's honestly some of the coolest shit I've ever heard anybody say. And um, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, no doubt. I I totally resonate with that, and that's exactly why I can't be bothered to ignore this culture and go back to any other form of life. Is because, I mean, I wouldn't have known about you if I hadn't gone to festivals. If I'm being completely honest, I started going to festivals pretty hardcore about five years ago and it's nice to have access to this kind of information included with like multiple concerts and shit like that like amazing shows going on and then i can go talk to an artist like chris dyer and hear things like this and see things like you do and that's just like really fucking cool and i appreciate you extending yourself to us like that because 
Uh, I mean, I know you talked earlier about it in the car that sometimes it is exhausting, but you know, the body regenerates, energy regenerates. So as long as you can get the amount of rest that you need and the amount of self-care that you need, um, you can keep on spreading that wonderful info to us and we will always appreciate it, obviously. Thanks, man. Yeah, I try my best and I feel I'm pretty good shape for a 40-year-old. And my life's blessed. I'm not complaining at any way. And even like the whole missionary thing, like it just makes me so fulfilled. You know, I got purpose. And my biggest purpose is just to help kill the human race or the planet, you know, or just be that little grain of sand in the beach that helps make that happen. And yeah, all this culture, all these festivals, this music, like a lot of things are irrelevant. Like what Bass Nectar's up to or what uh, cool album's happening or event. You forget out that shit in a week, a month, a year. Eventually all that shit it becomes irrelevant. But it's attracting us to all come together and unite in soul, you know, and in finding our own healing you know like the legalization of mushrooms not so we can like party and woohoo we're doing mushrooms and this super kick ass and then we're so cool and blah 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 no it's so we can start doing our inner healing and reawakening our god self you know like the, the human race is sick we need medicine artist medicine psychedelics is me medicine music is medicine so we got to start seeing these things as the medicine that helps us become healed again conscious godly well, whatever religion you want to call it, it doesn't matter. Like godly as in like that consciousness that wants us to be wise and mature and not destroy the planet for being selfish and, you know, having a couple of decades of, of fun times. So let's keep on doing that. Let's keep on moving in the direction that, that heals the planet and heals ourselves. Become a healer, not a, not a person who's adding on to the trauma of your brothers and sisters or the collective. That's a really wonderful notion to uh, impart upon the world. Uh, again, it's just appreciated to have people thinking about everyone collectively in that way, rather than just selfishly holding it in themselves. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of people are like, Oh, well I know the I know the answer, but I'm not giving it to anyone. And like, we need to stop doing shit like that. Like we need to like really communicate with each other and let each other know how it's supposed to go down. If you know the answer, you share that shit. That's what I'm saying. If not, like, you don't have the answer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's the other thing, too. A lot of people like to pretend they have the answer. So I'm going to get another couple questions. These are more related to the podcast and stuff like that. What do you think about the idea of this podcast? How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's cool. I guess it depends who the artist you're choosing contrasts with the artist that's talking. For example, I love the art of Jim Phyllis, but as we, we heard... He did choices that kind of like weren't my choices. So like he listened to his wife to find his art. He burned himself out to the point he doesn't want to do art anymore. That really is very different than me. So we're spending half the show talking about an artist that though his art might have been rad, maybe it's not inspiring people so much. Hopefully the artist that is present in your studio uh, makes a nice contrast that will create the inspiration but you know it's not a judgment or saying that anyway is better than anything else and maybe that contrast is what's showing you like these are two different paths this is a path of like you know doing it for the ego or the money and then you'll just burn out and you'll be unhappy and this is the one where like maybe money is not so important but you're doing it for the soul and for the service of humanity and then that makes you happy. So then you actually do become abundant. So I think it is good, you know. Uh, hopefully, I don't know what other artists uh, your other guests have chosen, but hopefully it does create an interesting contrast because it'd be sucky for you if their favorite artist is a totally boring character. That just makes the whole show boring. Well, luckily, um, most of the artists that I've talked to have given me a couple of people to choose from, so I at least have some kind of discernment over the direction in which it goes, because if it was uh, somebody boring, I'd be like, fuck this. Like, yeah. Like, uh, the previous, I think, like, two episodes ago, he was going to either choose a classical music artist or a current artist right now, and I was like, let's go with the current artist, because I really don't know of any fan pages for a classical music artist, you know? I don't know of anywhere that I can really promote for this classical music artist. I don't know how much information I'm going to uncover about this classical music artist, because he was living in a completely different century than us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, it is definitely a little bit easier if I have a couple to choose from. For those that have their interest piqued by hearing about an augmented reality, Chris 
Dyer mural. It is as cool as it sounds. You should check it out. And you're crazy if you don't go look at it because it's pretty fucking awesome. I helped him demonstrate it today with his phone. And it looks so interactive and so fucking cool. And I just can't imagine what it would be like to see my own art pop out of a wall. I think that pretty much wraps up what we need to talk about here and what kind of information we need to spread. I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us. Thank you so much for coming out to hang out with us on Uniquity over Ubiquity. No problem, man. I'm almost done with your drawing here. It looks pretty dope from the angle I'm seeing it. Just need to fill in a little bit more black. So yeah, all this time I've been talking to you, I've just been looking down drawing this thing. It's uh, pretty seamless the way that you can create art, and I'm super impressed with how far you've come, and I can't wait to see how far you go. So once again, thank you for coming out, and I hope you have a great day, man. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bless. Wow. Just wow. I swear, as this show progresses through time, we just keep uncovering better info with each iteration. Chris showed us how you can admire and be inspired by someone, incorporate their style into your style, and still live a different life and path through your own artwork. I want to thank him for sharing this insight into the experiences that led him to be the artist we know and love today. I think the key to this type of lifestyle or this pursuit of art is to take the best parts of everything you like, leave the scraps or the decisions that don't resonate with you behind, and make something new out of the combination of all the things you have. Chris is rapidly growing as an artist and just constantly doing bigger and better things. He is a true inspiration to those around him and has a unique way of delivering his vision. I am so thankful he sat down with us and talked about his art and how it came to be. Such an intelligent man with such thought-provoking art. You can catch Chris at festivals or shows or even doing workshops. Stay in the know about what he's doing by checking out his website positivecreations.ca, on his Instagram at Chris Dyer, on his Facebook slash Chris Dyer's Positive Creations, or his Twitter at Positive Creator. Chris has murals and art plastered all over this earth. You'll know him when you see him. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to what these artists and I have to say. As this year approaches its end, I'm happy I spent the majority of it on this podcast and the information it has the potential to unlock. I wouldn't mind doing this show for another 10 years if I was asked to. The world will never run out of artists worth listening to. You can find this podcast and all episodes of it on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. Tune in for the next mini-sode so we can tell you who's coming up next. If you need to contact us, feel free to hit us up on facebook.com slash uniquityoverubiquity and on Instagram at uniquityoverubiquity. We'd love to hear of artists that would like to be on this show as well as artists you think we should discuss. And also, please be sure to share this. Anybody that's trying to pursue art in any form could definitely benefit from listening to these episodes. There's so much information here, and I just want us all to have it. Thanks. Have a good time. See you next month, and goodbye.